Good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn to the book of John, my thoughts this week and this morning were pulled towards John, the sixth chapter. And before I get into the scripture too much, being tested is something that uh, we've all experienced uh, to some degree or another. Uh, anybody that's ever been through any amount of school, you've probably uh, been tested to see uh, had you learned the material that was given to you that the teacher had gone over uh, for a period of weeks and then they put a piece of paper out in front of you and say, all right, here's some questions and I'm going to test you to see whether or not uh, you are um, sufficiently trained on this particular subject and depending on how you do on this will determine whether you are or are not. Um, so that's, you know, when people think about being tested, that's probably something that uh, would be the first things to come to your mind, but we're tested in other ways. Um, you know, I, I think about um, our military. Uh, you know, you just don't go sign up for the military and, and they take you day one and stick you out on, you know, in the front lines or in a very um, important, delicate position. Uh, they train you and they will test you uh, to make sure that you're able to, to, to you know, to function in a way that uh, you need to function to carry out the duties of somebody that's in the military. They're going to make sure that you're physically fit. Think about Navy SEALs. Before they send Navy SEALs on these, uh, you know, top secret, you know, very important missions, they've tested them to see, are, can you do this? You know, and you don't, you know, they wouldn't want to get uh, anybody out of this crowd, I imagine, to go do these things because we hadn't been tested to see, can we handle those things? So, we're all tested in a bunch of ways. Every now and then I'll test my kids. They don't even know I'm testing them, but I may, uh, I don't want to give up too, too, too many of my secrets here. But, uh, you know, I might intentionally uh, leave something laying out there and just watch how many days it sits there before somebody gets it and puts it up, you know. Uh, just to test them to say, hey, are you, are you aware of your surroundings? Are you seeing what's out? Uh, are you, are you uh, conscious of picking up after yourself? And so we're testing a lot of different ways. But today, I specifically want to talk about your discipleship being tested. Now, discipleship, being a disciple, means one who follows Christ and follows Christ's ways. So I want to talk to you about testing your discipleship. And there are many different ways that your discipleship can be tested. Uh, you can see, you know, as you read through the Bible or maybe in your own experiences in life, that your discipleship can be tested, certainly tested by persecution. And the Bible speaks of that in Matthew, the 13th chapter, about, uh, you know, people that maybe have a zeal of the Lord and they follow the Lord and they're uh, anchored in their discipleship until persecution comes. And then they, uh, that causes them, that's enough to cause them to fail the test of discipleship. And they kind of go and, and start straying from the Lord. Doesn't mean they're not a child of God or born again. And heaven is not their home. It means discipleship on this side of heaven they were tested by persecution and they failed that. You can also see that uh, uh, sometimes your discipleship can be tested by dry seasons. And uh, some of y'all may not have ever experienced that, but I experienced that. There are times when you feel a uh, tremendous presence of the Spirit as you study and in your daily life and your prayer life is very fruitful and you have a zeal there uh, and the, you feel like the, uh, you know, the spiritual thoughts are just flowing into your mind. And it's easy, it's very easy in those times to follow the Lord and be faithful in your study and your prayer life and your discipleship because you see some fruit coming from those things. 
But then there are dry seasons where you don't necessarily feel like you're on that mountaintop. You don't necessarily sit down and study the word of God and, uh, and just feel the presence of the Lord as strong as you have in times past. Uh, have you ever sat down to pray and felt like your prayers didn't make it through the ceiling? Have you ever had dry seasons? Those will test your discipleship. And, and you know, I've told Tiffany many times before that, that you know, I, I just feel like I'm in a season where I'm in a dry season, maybe spiritually speaking, and I've told her, but that is the times that you got to put your nose to the grindstone and keep pushing forward in faithfulness to continue to be uh, faithful in your discipleship, even though it's difficult. You know, you can, you can apply that to uh, parenting, to marriage, uh, you know, any, any aspect. You know, marriages, there, maybe there's times in your marriages where uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not quite like it was, um, you know, the first two weeks after you got married. And maybe you've been married for quite a while and you feel like you're in a dry season in your marriage. You still have to be faithful. You still have to continue to push forward, even in those dry seasons, to prove your faithfulness to your spouse. Well, discipleship can be the same way in those dry seasons as we continue to be faithful to prove that we're serious about our discipleship to the Lord. So persecution can, question, uh, can test your discipleship. Dry seasons can test your discipleship. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is one of the things that I think question, that caused people to fail the test of discipleship more in the Bible, in the New Testament, than any other thing, and that was your discipleship being tested by doctrine. Okay? I want to talk to you about uh, your, your doctrine testing your discipleship. Now, it's a little bit harder today to... Find scenarios in your life where you feel like your discipleship was truly tested by doctrine. And here's why. <clears throat> Let's say that you sit down with me and we begin to have a discussion about doctrine. And I bring some things out and bring some things to you that maybe go against what you believe at that time or what you've been brought up believing. You can say, <clears throat> I'm not being tested by doctrine because Luke's just wrong. Do you understand that? Well, Luke's wrong, and so I'm not really being tested by doctrine. Or if you go to a church and you hear some things preached at a church that you don't necessarily agree with, you don't have to sit there and be tested by that because you just say, well, that church is just wrong in what they believe. So it's difficult at times to realize that we actually are tested by doctrine as we go through this life. But the one way you can absolutely know that you're being tested by doctrine if something comes straight out of the Lord's mouth. Okay, so let's transport back in time to the days that Jesus Christ walked in the flesh. Now, if he said something and he spoke it and we have a record of it <clears throat> here in the scriptures, if Jesus Christ, if you were a Jew, maybe back in those days and you're standing before Jesus Christ and Jesus says something, you can't say, well, Jesus is just wrong. Right? Because it's, I don't want to say straight out of the horse's mouth because Jesus is not a horse, but you understand what I'm saying. You can call me wrong. You can call Brother Tim wrong. You can call that church, that church, and that church wrong. But when the Lord says it, we're tested by that doctrine of what are we going to do. Now, in John, the sixth chapter, wow, time goes by fast, doesn't it, brother? 
We might make a series out of this one. I don't know. I might have to. In John, the sixth chapter, I want to read to you, starting in verse 30. And this is what the Jews say to the Lord. They said, therefore, unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? All right. So immediately here, what we've got is Jews saying our belief is going to be based on what you can show us you can do. All right. Well, they're, 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 they're wrong right out of the gate. Okay. <clears throat> but you've got to understand that's their mindset right here. I've got to see something in order for me to believe. Okay, that's the exact opposite of faith. And they say to him, our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying, listen, the reason our father's belief was so strong at times is because you showed them something. You gave them something supernatural or super spiritual, maybe is a better word, that, that defies any law of nature. It was clearly a miracle and they saw it and they believed. No wonder they believed. But what are you going to show us if you're going to say that you are uh, that you and the father are one? You need to do something like uh, that the Lord did back then. And she, uh, they had manna. What do we have? And I guess I kind of understand them thinking that way because we're human. <clears throat> and so Jesus goes on. And he begins to speak to them. And I'm going to skip some of this through John 6, but go back and read it. But for the sake of time, Jesus goes on and he says, Well, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he, sh he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye have also seen me and believe not. Remember, they're not wanting just to see him. They're wanting to see him do something to validate who he is. And then he says this, all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out for I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the father's will, which hath sent me that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Now, so Jesus has already established a couple things here that there was a people given to him. He says, all the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So he is saying, there is something here that will not be overlooked. It will not be missed. There will be no mistakes. Every single person that the Lord gave me will come to me, and every single person that comes to me I will not cast out. And he says, I'm not here to do mine own will. I'm here to do the will of him that sent me. And that's my father's will. He says, this is my father's will. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Now, is there any doubt? And again, this is straight out of the Lord's mouth. Is there any doubt based on these three or four verses here that we read about what Jesus said? Does anything indicate or point to something is going to be incomplete or a stone is going to be left unturned or something is going to be missing or something like that. He says, they're all coming to me. I'm not going to cast them out. I'm here to do my father's will. And my father's will is that I'm not going to lose anything, but I'm going to raise it up again at the last day. And then he goes on and it says, the Jews said, remember the Jews that were wanting to see something special. The Jews murmured. 
Because he said that he was the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? And Jesus says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, murmur not among yourselves. Now, here's the verse I want to get to. <clears throat> this is what Jesus says to these Jews who are wanting to see something to valid for him to validate who he is. He says, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up again at the last day. Now, there's a Jesus presented today that is not that much different from somebody maybe putting on a concert. Okay? You got somebody putting on a concert. That person that's putting on that concert, he hires people to, he or she hires people to market for him. And they go out and they, they sell, you know, this person to the public and say, let me tell you about this person, how great he is. Let's put posters up. Let's do all kind of radio and TV advertisements. And let's try to draw a crowd for this entertainer. Okay. And sometimes we'll say this, man, that guy, he doesn't need a whole lot of marketing. He knows how to draw a crowd. Well, Jesus knew how to, drew a to draw a crowd, but even more so, Jesus knew how to run them off. I mean, read the New Testament. Jesus knew exactly what to say to filter down to who is the faithful. But Jesus is not saying here, Jesus is not saying no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him like an entertainer draws a crowd. If that were the case, they would have no reason to be upset. It would have been an open invitation here that anybody that sees the Lord and as God goes out and markets for the Lord through his preachers, through the gospel or whatever reason, whoever sees those things and has an inclination to come on in and see the Lord and be a part of what the Lord is doing, just come on in. That would not make anybody upset. But what the definition of the word draw here is not like an entertainer drawing a crowd. And the Jews knew that, and that's why they get mad. His disciples knew that, and that's why later we see them get mad and leave. The word draw here, the actual definition, it means to drag with power. Now, I am not a concert person. If y'all like them, great. That's just not my thing. If you get me to a concert, you're going to have to drag me under power. I don't want to go. I'd rather go do something else. But when it comes to the Lord here, understand the Lord there, the Bible says that there is no one that understands him and no one that seeks after him. And Jesus is saying, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me drag them to him under the power of the almighty God. That's what he's saying. And he said, well, how do you know that he's saying that? Because no other way would generate the response that we see the Jews and the disciples have. Now, he goes on here. Think about the word draw there. If you go read through the Bible, do you know that the, there in, I think it's John, the second chapter, that Jesus tells some servants to go draw some water. 
I want you to think about maybe John the fourth or fifth chapter, the, the Samaritan woman goes to the well to draw water. The Bible tells us that Peter drew his sword from his sheath. In all of those cases, that sword came out of Peter's sheath because he drug it under a force. Gravity and friction were resisting that power of him drawing it. There was nothing about that sword or that setup that wanted to come out and get into Peter's hand. But the force of Peter drew that sword against its will out of that sheath so he could use it. The water that's in the well that these women were drawn up, that water cares nothing about the bucket. It carries nothing, cares nothing about the thirst of the people drawing it. It's by gravity alone causes water to want to go down and it's actually working against it. But those women under the force of their own bodies drug it to themselves. That's the kind of draw that the Lord is talking about in John the sixth chapter. And again, how do we know that? Because he goes on and repeats himself, him, himself and he says, <clears throat> and again, this is where their discipleship is being tested by doctrine. It says, many therefore of his disciples, not the wicked of the world, not the reprobates, that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about his disciples. When they had heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it offends me. Because you're saying that I don't get to have a say so in it. That you're saying I'm a sword in a sheath and I'm water in a well. And yes, that offends me. Jesus says, what and if you shall see the Son of Man descend up where he was before. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. All right, this is not out of Luke's mouth or Tim's mouth or your mouth. This is the Lord, the end all of end alls, saying it is the Spirit that quickeneth. What is he saying? It is the Spirit of God that brings you spiritual life. Your flesh has nothing to do with it. And how do you go back to what does it say in the... Uh, I hope I got this right because I don't have time to look for it. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Listen to this, which is the spirit that quickeneth, which were born, past tense, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's the same thing he's saying here. It is not your nationality. It is not your heritage. It is not your desire that brings you spiritual life because your flesh, your flesh profiteth nothing. And it says, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Now, there's your discipleship, and there is a wheelbarrow full of doctrine to test it. Now, here's the funny thing, and I've already told you this. 
If I say the same things here that Jesus said to somebody that doesn't believe that, they'll say, well, that's just Luke. He's wrong. He's missed something in the Bible. He doesn't have a seminary degree. He's just confused. And, and my, my discipleship's not being tested by what Luke's saying because what Luke's saying is wrong. But this is the Lord. And he says, no man can come unto me except it were given or unless my father draws him to me. Verse 66, from that time, Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What did they do? They failed. They failed the test of doctrine. There comes a time when Peter failed the test of persecution, right? When Peter thought he was going to see the same fate that Jesus Christ had after he had been arrested, Jesus failed the test of uh, his discipleship, failed the test of persecution. These disciples. Students of the Lord failed when their discipleship was tested, not by persecution or dry seasons, but by doctrine. Because, Lord, what you're saying does not jive with what I am feeling or what or the way I think it ought to be. And so I'll just go find somebody else that will present something to me that's more in line with what I want to hear. Listen. I can say this to you today with some authority because I have been those disciples in 66. I've been them. I've said, I'm not going to hear that. I don't want any part of that. I have failed the test of doctrine as far as my discipleship goes. Now, the way the Lord, the, he says, all the Father giveth me. Number one, that tells me it's not open-ended. It means that the Lord gave a people to his son to save. He says that it is not something that I'm going to lose. It's something that is sure. It's something that is kept. My father, through his spirit, will quicken them all. They all will come to me. I will never cast them out and I will never lose one of them. That sounds, that sounds pretty concrete, does it not? I preached a sermon one day, and maybe it's time to preach it again, about will Jesus be satisfied with the number of people in heaven? Will Jesus walk up and down the halls of heaven just saying, oh, I could have had more. I could have had more if Luke would have done more. I could have had more if Tim would have done more. We could have, we've, got, we've got mansions upon mansions that are empty because God's people wouldn't get out and evangelize, and oh, I'm just tormented. That doesn't sound like a satisfied Savior. Jesus, the Bible tells us in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, that Jesus saw the travail of his soul and he was satisfied. That means the suffering that he did for his people, he saw what that would buy and he was satisfied with it. And the example that I've used to you before is all four of my children, if they were drowning in a lake and I went out to try to save them, the only way I would ever be satisfied with my saving efforts is if I saved every single one of them. I could not say, I've got Emma, I've got Bailey, I've got Hank. Oh, but I lost Jack. But that's okay, I'm satisfied. Three out of I would never do that. It would have to be every single one of them. And Jesus Christ says, I'm going to be satisfied because everyone he gave me is coming to me. And I'm not going to lose one of them. And I will never cast one of those out. But the only way you get to me is if God the Father, through his Holy Spirit, quickens your spiritually dead soul just like Lazarus was. And what did the Lord say? 
Lazarus come forth. Lazarus did not have a choice in it. The power of God drug Lazarus up from death. In the same way, he drags us up from spiritual death and we come to him. I said all that to say this. If there is a measure in your heart to the smallest degree that loves the Lord, that is convicted over your sins, it is not because somebody somewhere made Jesus marketable. And you saw him and said, yeah, I think I'll buy that ticket. He didn't draw you that way. He draws you as a spiritually dead person and drags you against the force of your deadness into spiritual life. The Bible says this, for by grace are we saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. And I've said to you before, and I'll say it to you again. If whatever method of salvation is out there, if it to the smallest degree gives any credit to man, you've got reason to boast. But the Bible says the Lord's method of salvation eliminates the possibility of anybody ever boasting in salvation unless they glorify the Lord. If we boast in salvation, we boast to the Lord. How many times have we seen it? I saw it, I saw it two days ago. Oh, I'm so proud of so-and-so. So-and-so just made the best decision of their life. So-and-so walked down the aisle and accepted Jesus as their personal Lord Savior. We're so proud of so-and-so. Not one mention of Jesus Christ. Not one. That is a method of salvation that points to man and causes us to boast in man. What I've presented to you this morning, has it tested your discipleship? Has this doctrine of the Bible tested your discipleship? I hope so. There came a point in my life where it sure tested mine. I failed it, failed it, failed it, failed it. Finally, I sat down and studied, and I passed it. That's how you pass tests, is you study. I hope that's been profitable to you. Please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.